Come on, the table is polished, the finest crystal glassware is laid out, all ready for your drinks. We're having canapes this week as it's a regal affair on this week's Table Conversation with me, I am Craig Story. Well, how is one this week? I hope you're all good. Thank you for joining the table and getting involved with the conversation. And this week's conversation is going to be an interesting one because this week we'll see the coronation of King Charles III. And judging by some media reports, it appears that King Charles, well, he hasn't inherited people's deference for the late Queen Elizabeth. Wherever he pays a visit, there's often a crowd, sometimes small, sometimes larger, all chanting, not my king. Coordinated by Republic Campaign Group, these crowds could be seen as a minority, but they are a growing minority. And I think unless the royal family can convince the under 30s that the monarch and the monarchy, they're a force for good, then this minority could become the majority. It's clear to see that the hefty weight of respect for the late Queen, well, that that had been enough to keep Republican thoughts firmly tucked away. However, her passing has allowed these conversations to peek out into the light. And maybe in a cost of living crisis, many young people see the monarchy as a, a representation of an unfair society. The Crown Estate owning 200,000 acres of land and just £15 billion worth of property in Regent Street alone, making a profit of £345 million last year. You can see why this might seem unjust in the current climate. It is important to point out, however, that taxation is decided by the government and not the royal family themselves. In the last year of the Queen's reign, it was calculated that the royal family cost us £1.29 per person per year in Great Britain. And maybe you think at that rate, the royal family provide excellent value for money and represent Great Britain on the world stage and do a lot of positive work for us as a country. Do you enjoy the pomp, the ceremony and the traditions that no other country in the world can offer? And it'll be interesting to see what you think the future for King Charles and his family will look like. Well, that's what we're going to be exploring on this week's Table Conversation. We'll take a look at the history of the royal family, recent history, some of the controversies. We'll also look at the arguments for and against a republic, as well as maybe even a compromise model like the Swedish royal family. As always, I'd love to know your thoughts on all we have to share and also your opinions on the future of the monarchy. You know where I am. I'm everywhere. I'm all across social media at I am Craig Story. Drop me a message there. Well, as we begin our exploration of the monarchy's history, it is important to remember that this institution has evolved significantly over the centuries. From absolute rulers to constitutional figureheads, the royal family has been at the centre of British life for over a thousand years. But today we're going to focus on some recent history, highlighting some of those key moments that have shaped public opinion and sparked heated debates across the country about the monarchy's relevance in modern society. In the past few decades, I think it's fair to say that the British monarchy has certainly faced its fair share of controversies and scandals. If you're old enough, you'll certainly remember the tragic death of Princess Diana in 1997, the beloved People's Princess. She was already a media sensation, but her untimely passing brought the royal family under intense scrutiny at the time. And many people began to question the monarchy's role in her life and whether they played a part in her tragic end. But that's not all. More recently, we've seen Prince Andrew's connection to the infamous Jeffrey Epstein scandal. And that shocking association, wasn't it? It cast a dark shadow over the royal family, leading many people again to question the morals and values of those who represent the monarchy. And who can forget the high-profile departure of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle from their royal duties? And that event further fueled the ongoing debate over the monarchy's place in modern society. I think to truly appreciate the evolution of the British monarchy, we need to go back, way back... 
and begin with the Anglo-Saxon kings who ruled over various kingdoms in what is now modern-day England. The first recognised king of England was Egbert, who ascended to the throne in 802 AD. Over the centuries, the monarchy was shaped by conquests, alliances and even a touch of scandal, who would believe? And does the name William the Conqueror ring a bell? If you're from your history lessons, well, in 1066, he invaded England and he claimed the English throne forever changing the course of our history. If we jump ahead, the infamous Tudor dynasty, marked by the larger-than-life figure of King Henry VIII, we'll always remember him from our history books as well, from our history lessons, and remember his six wives. Well, as we know, he went to great lengths to secure a male heir, leading to a tumultuous period of religious upheaval and political intrigue surrounding him. Now, as we move through history, we arrive at the Stuart dynasty, which produced some iconic monarchs such as James I and Charles I. Now, their reigns were marked by religious conflict, civil war, and even a brief period of Republican rule under Oliver Cromwell. Ultimately, though, the monarchy was restored under Charles II, but the seeds of constitutional change were sown then forever. The Georgian era, that brought a series of Hanoverian kings to the throne, with George III being the most well-known. And yes, he's the one who lost the American colonies. Then we have the Victorian era, which saw the British Empire reach its zenith under the long reign of Queen Victoria. The sun never set on the empire, as I said, but beneath the surface, the monarchy faced a multitude of challenges, including political reform and social change. In the 20th century, the House of Windsor emerged as the face of the British monarchy. It's during this period that we see the monarchy evolve into a constitutional institution, with King George V navigating the turbulent waters of World War I, followed by his son, King George VI, who bravely led the nation through World War II. And who can forget the abdication crisis of King Edward VIII, who chose love over the crown, and he left the throne to his reluctant brother, George VI. And now then, we arrive at the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, the longest-serving monarch in British history. Her steadfast dedication to her role and her ability to adapt to the rapidly changing world around her, it's earned her respect and admiration across the globe. And even those who lean towards republicanism respect Queen Elizabeth II. Her reign has not been without challenges, though, as we discussed earlier with the tragedies and the controversies that have plagued the royal family in recent decades. So here we are in the 21st century with a royal family that has weathered countless storms. It's evolved over the course of a thousand years. But as we've seen, the modern world has brought new challenges and debates about the monarchy's relevance in today's society. Now, as we look to the future, it's worth considering what lies ahead for the royal family. And it's the coronation of King Charles this week. Will they continue to adapt and change with the times, or will they ultimately become a relic of a bygone era? Can the monarchy maintain its delicate balance of tradition and modernity, or will the weight of history ultimately prove too heavy a burden to bear? Well, if like me, it's been a long time since you've been in a history lesson. I hope you've enjoyed that little journey through the captivating history of the British monarchy. And as we've discovered, it's a story of triumph and tragedy, continuity and change, and a testament to the enduring nature of this ancient institution. But as the world continues to evolve, only time will tell what the future holds for the royal family. <music> we're going to discuss the changing moods towards the monarchy and how it went from being universally adored to facing skepticism and criticism in the public eye. We'll also examine and have a look at some UK newspaper polls, some recent polls that reveal interesting insights into how the British public sentiments are at the moment alongside the monarchy. So get British, grab yourself a cup of tea and settle in as we unravel the complex relationship between the royals and the people. And to understand the shift in atom monarchy, it's essential to look back at the golden era when the royals were widely admired and respected. 
I mean, the early years of Queen Elizabeth II's reign represented a time when the British public held the monarchy in such high regard. And her coronation in 1953 was an extraordinary event, capturing the imaginations of millions and symbolised hope and unity in that post-war era. And throughout the years, the Queen and her family have been seen as a source of stability and continuity, with many Britons appreciating their dedication to public service and their roles as ambassadors for the UK on the global stage. But as time has passed, the winds of change began to blow and the mood did start to shift. In recent decades, we've witnessed a noticeable change in the public's attitude towards the monarchy. While the royals once enjoyed unwavering support, recent polls do suggest that there is an increasing number of Britons that are questioning the monarchy's relevance in the modern world. So what's changed? Well, one contributing factor is a growing awareness of social and economic inequalities, especially in the days we live in right now with the cost of living crisis in the UK. As the gap between the rich and the poor widens, many people have started to question the justification for a privileged, a publicly funded royal family. The monarchy has also faced criticism for being out of touch with the struggles of everyday people, not being able to recognise the worries and the concerns of the working person. It's been said that royalty represents an outdated system of inherited privilege. Another significant factor is the rise of social media and the transparency that it brings for good or for bad. And in the past, the royals were often seen through the carefully curated lens of traditional media and media parties where stories were told. But the social media world, it's exposed them to new levels of scrutiny. From candid photographs to leaked conversations, the royals are now under the watchful eye of the public like never before. And this increased exposure has in some cases led to a decline in their mystique and it's given an erosion of their once impeccable image that they're able to keep quite nicely and neatly with the the palace hiding all the, the darker sides away from us people. Additionally, generational differences in values and priorities have played a role in changing attitudes towards the monarchy. Younger generations tend to be more focused on issues such as climate change, social justice and diversity. They may view the monarchy as less relevant to their lives and their concerns. And like we said before, let's take a look at some of the UK newspaper polls that shed light on the public sentiments towards the royal family. In a recent poll conducted by The Guardian, it was revealed that 41% of respondents believe that the UK should have an elected head of state. While 48% supported the continuation of the monarchy, and there's a slim majority there in favour of the monarchy, suggesting a significant shift in public opinion compared to previous decades. Another recent poll conducted by The Independent, well, that found that 45% of Britons aged 18 to 24 believed that the monarchy should be abolished, while only 29% of those over 65 shared this view. So there's a generational divide right there, and it's a clear indicator that the monarchy's future may hinge on its ability to adapt and connect with younger generations. Now, as we've discussed, changing attitudes towards the monarchy can be attributed to several factors, but we can't overlook the impact of high-profile controversies that have further fueled public scepticism. As we said at the very beginning of the episode, the tragic death of Princess Diana in 1997, and it was perceived that the royal family had quite a cold response to the nation's grief, and that dealt a significant blow to their public image. We mentioned again Prince Andrew's association with Jeffrey Epstein scandal that further tarnished the royal family's reputation and Harry, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, them departing their royal duties, that exposed divisions within the family and raised questions about the monarchy's ability to d- adapt the monarchy and the system behind the monarchy, the questions around racism and whether the monarchy can adapt to modern values and expectations. 
So what does the future really hold for the British monarchy? Can they adapt and evolve to regain the unwavering support that they once enjoyed? Or are they destined to fade into obscurity and as an outdated institution? One thing that is certain, though, the monarchy must be prepared to face the challenges of a changing world head-on if they wish to remain relevant. And that's going to be one of the challenges for King Charles and his reign. For the monarchy to survive and thrive, they must demonstrate a genuine commitment to addressing social and economic inequalities, embracing diversity, championing the causes that matter most to the people, that matter most to their, their subjects, the public. The royals must also acknowledge the power of social media and use it to their advantage, fostering a more relatable, a humanised image that resonates with younger generations. Despite the challenges and shifting attitudes, it is worth noting that the monarchy has shown signs of adapting to the modern world. For instance, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, or now the Prince and Princess of Wales, Prince William and Kate Middleton, they've embraced social media to share glimpses of their personal lives and engage in philanthropic endeavours, demonstrating their commitment to issues such as mental health and environmental conservation. Furthermore, our new king, King Charles himself, he's made efforts to modernise the monarchy by streamlining the royal household and focusing on the core members of the family who carry out public duties. He's also passionate about issues affecting the younger generations like climate change, and he has done a lot of work over the years connecting with young people for the Prince's Trust. Overall, the royal family has also become more transparent about its finances and it's taken steps to reduce its carbon footprint. However, it does remain to be seen whether these efforts will be enough to win back the hearts and minds of a sceptical public. Have they done enough to be transparent about their finances? And are they reducing their carbon footprint at the same time and the same as lecturing the rest of the world about what they need to do with their impact on the climate and the planet? Or, I don't know, are they going to win the hearts and minds of a sceptical public? Or are they going to be able to secure the monarchy's place in an ever-changing world? Well, that's something only the future can tell, isn't it? Well, next, let's delve into the Republican alternative, a vision of the UK without a hereditary monarch. We'll examine the arguments for and against the Republic and discuss the possible implications of such a change. So grab your thinking cap and let's dive into this intriguing debate. And before we dive into the Republican alternative, let's take a moment to consider the current state of the British monarchy. As we know, the monarchy has been a central part of British history and culture for over a thousand years. However, recent controversies, changing attitudes, they've all fueled debates about the monarchy's relevance in the modern world, with some questioning whether that hereditary system can truly represent the values of a diverse and a progressive society. So what would be the Republican alternative? What would a UK without a monarchy look like? And could it offer a more democratic and a more egalitarian vision for the future? So what exactly is a republic and how could it differ and would it differ from the current system? In a republic, the head of state is typically elected or appointed rather than inheriting the role through birthright. This means that the leader would represent the will of the people rather than that hereditary dynasty. Proponents of Republic argue that it would create a more democratic and egalitarian society. They claim by electing or appointing a head of state, citizens would have a direct say in who represents them, which fosters greater political engagement and accountability. Furthermore, Republicanism aims to promote meritocracy with the belief that anyone, regardless of their background, could aspire to become the head of state. Let's have a close look at some of those arguments in favour of Republic. Firstly, Republicans argue the monarchy is an outdated and undemocratic institution that perpetuates social inequality. They believe that in a modern, progressive society, it is unjust for someone just to hold that amount of significant influence and privilege simply because of their birth. Another key argument in favour of Republic is the issue of financial cost. Critics of the monarchy argue that maintaining the royal family 
family and their various residences is an unnecessary expense for the taxpayers. And by transitioning to a public, they claim that the public funds could be redirected towards more pressing social issues such as healthcare and education. Lastly, Republicans argue that a head of state chosen by the people would be more representative of the nation's diverse population, which again fosters that greater sense of unity and social cohesion. If we consider some of the arguments now against a republic, one key concern raised by monarchists is the potential for political instability. They argue that a hereditary monarch provides a stable and non-partisan figurehead who can rise above the fray of party politics, whereas that elected or an appointed head of state could become embroiled in political rivalries and conflict. Another argument against Republic is the importance of preserving Britain's cultural heritage. Monarchists claim that the monarchy is an integral part of the nation's history and identity. The pomp, the ceremony and abolishing it would be tantamount to raising a vital aspect of British culture. And lastly, some argue that the monarchy serves as an essential source of soft power and diplomacy on the global stage. They believe that the royal's unique status and prestige can foster international goodwill and can be used to strengthen diplomatic ties and these benefits could be lost under a Republican system. It is worth looking, though, in the history how other nations have transitioned from a monarchy to a republic to understand what the potential challenges may be and what the potential benefits of such a change may be. So looking at two examples, if you look at France and Ireland, so in in France, the transition from monarchy to republic was marked by a series of revolutions and political upheavals. The French Revolution in 1789 saw the end of the Bourbon monarchy and the establishment of the first French Republic. However, France experienced multiple changes in government since then, including the rise and the fall of Napoleon's empire and the restoration of the monarchy before ultimately settling to its current form as the Fifth French Republic. And while the French experience may not directly mirror what could happen in the UK, it does demonstrate that potential for political instability during such transitions. On the other hand, Ireland's transition to Republic was a more gradual and peaceful state of affairs. The Irish Free State, established in 1922, initially retained the British monarch as its head of state. However, in 1937, a new constitution was adopted, which created the office of the President of Ireland and effectively established the Irish Republic. The Irish experience does show that a peaceful transition to Republic is possible, although it should be noted the process was facilitated by the broader context of Irish independence and the desire to distance itself from the British rule. So what could a British Republic look like? There are several potential models to consider and one possibility is a parliamentary republic similar to Germany or Italy where the head of state, often a president, is a largely ceremonial figure with limited powers while the prime minister remains the head of government. Another option is a presidential system, similar to the United States or France, where the head of state and government are combined in a single powerful executive office. And this model could provide a more streamlined system of government. But again, it may also risk concentrating too much power in the hands of one individual. Ultimately, the specific structure of a British Republic would depend on the outcome of many public debates and the preferences of the citizens. A constitutional convention or a series of referendums could be held to determine the exact form what a British Republic would take and if anyone actually wants it. Well, another option to consider is a compromise like the Swedish model. In Sweden, only the king, queen, crown princess and her family receive any state funding, while other members of the royal family pursue their own careers and receive no taxpayer support. Adopting a similar approach in Britain could help to address some of those concerns about the cost of the monarchy 
and its perceived unfairness, while still preserving some of that cultural and historical aspects that many people value. And this type of potential compromise could satisfy both monarchists and republicans. And have a look at the pros and the cons of this model and consider whether it could be a viable solution for the British monarchy. So let's have a little think through this one then. So taking a close look at the Swedish model of monarchy, in Sweden it is more streamlined. The king, queen, crown princess and her family receive the state funding. Other members of the royal family, they're not financially supported by taxpayers and are expected to pursue their own careers. And this leaner approach to the monarchy addresses some of the concerns around cost and perceived unfairness, while again still preserving some of those cultural and historical aspects that many people do value. So one of the main advantages of the Swedish model is its potential to reduce the financial burden on taxpayers. It limiting that state funding to only a few key members of the royal family, the monarchy would be less expensive to maintain, less palaces to maintain. This could help to alleviate some of the public concerns around the cost of the monarchy and its impact on government budgets. Another pro of the Swedish model is that it addresses concerns about fairness and social inequality. And by requiring non-senior members of the royal family to find their own employment and support themselves, the monarchy would be seen as more meritocratic and in line with the values of the modern democratic society. Additionally, the Swedish model allows for the preservation of the monarchy's cultural and historical significance. The royal family would continue to exist as a symbol of national identity and tradition, while also adapting to the evolving expectations of the public. On the other hand, there are potential drawbacks to the Swedish model. One concern is that reducing state funding could diminish the monarchy's ability to fulfil its ceremonial and diplomatic functions. For example, the royals may have fewer resources to carry out their various public engagements, host state visits or participate in charity work. Another potential downside is that the Swedish model could lead to a loss of privacy and increased scrutiny for non-senior members of the royal family. These individuals will be pursuing their own careers. They may find it difficult to balance their professional lives with their royal obligations, potentially causing tension within the family and inviting even more criticism from the public. Some critics argue that the Swedish model is simply a half measure. It fails to fully address the core issues surrounding the monarchy, such as, as its inherent undemocratic nature and the concentration of wealth and power into the hands of a few individuals. For these critics, a more radical solution, such as transitioning to a republic, may be the only way to truly resolve some of those concerns. In conclusion, the Swedish model offers a potential compromise for the British monarchy, should that situation arise where people decide that they want that compromise addressing some of those concerns around costs fairness and social inequality while also preserving some of the cultural and historical significance of the institution it's important to recognize that the swedish model may not be perfect solution and it could introduce its own set of challenges Ultimately, though, the question of whether the Swedish model is a suitable option for Britain is a matter for public debate, a matter for public reflection. And as a nation grapples with the future of the monarchy, I think it'll be crucial for everyone to engage in thoughtful dialogue and consider the various possibilities for reform. Balancing tradition and modernity is a challenge faced by many institutions, including the British monarchy alike. On one hand, tradition represents continuity, stability and a connection to the past. It's a source of cultural identity and pride, as well as a way to preserve history and our heritage. But on the other hand, modernity demands change, progress and adaptation. I think it's about embracing new ideas and values, addressing contemporary issues and fostering a more inclusive and egalitarian society. So how can the monarchy strike that balance between these two seemingly opposing forces? 
the key may lie in recognizing the value of tradition while also embracing change and progress where necessary. So let's have a little explore of what this might look like for the British monarchy. One potential solution to balance tradition and modernity is to adopt a more streamlined, a cost-effective model for the monarchy, similar to that Swedish model we've just been talking about. Well, in this model, only three core members of the royal family receive that state funding, while the others pursue their own careers. And it seems in the past, our king, King Charles, has spoken about this more streamlined approach and it being used to address some of the concerns around the cost and that perceived unfairness while still keeping the traditional values alive. It could make it a more stable environment for the monarchy if senior or non-senior members of the royal family have the opportunity to pursue their own interests and contribute to society in different ways. Another way that the monarchy could balance that tradition is by taking a more active role in addressing pressing social and environmental issues. Again, connecting with the public to advocate for policies and issues to address things like cost of living crisis, climate change, promoting social justice and support marginalised communities. And if they got involved and engaged with some of these issues, the monarchy could demonstrate that it is committed to progress and modern values and it recognises the struggles of the everyday person, all while maintaining that role as a traditional symbol of national unity and continuity. Moreover, this proactive approach could help to bolster the monarchy's relevance in the 21st century and foster greater public support for the institution. And in today's world, transparency and accountability are crucial for any institution, including the monarchy again. One way the monarchy could balance tradition and modernity is by being more open and transparent in its operations and decision-making processes and transparent about its finances. And there's been a big two, two big articles from The Guardian recently delving for answers around the wealth of the royal family and how it's a lot of it is hidden. So being more transparent and honest would make the the royal family and the monarchy more accountable and it is crucial for any industry or any institution should I say so being open and honest and transparent is really important and it's not just about their finances more information could be made publicly available about the work of the royal household and the activities of its members and this increased transparency could help build trust and confidence in the institution while also addressing some secrecy concerns about the privileges that they receive. The monarchy could actively engage the public and solicit feedback on its roles and activities. What do the public want from the modern day monarchy? Could involve hosting public forums, conducting surveys or even participating in social media discussions. Having that ongoing dialogue with the public, the monarchy could demonstrate its commitment to modern values and ensure that it remains in touch with the needs and the desires of the people that it serves. Finding that balance between tradition and moving forward is a complex challenge faced by institutions all around the world, just like the British monarchy. Thinking about adopting that streamlined, more cost-effective model, engaging with pressing social environmental issues, embracing that transparency, honesty, accountability. The monarchy does have the potential to adapt and evolve further into the 21st century. Ultimately, though, the success of these efforts will depend on the willingness of the royal family and the public to embrace any kind of change, as well as that shared commitment to finding common ground and fostering a more inclusive and forward-looking institution. We also have to consider how any changes to this institution might impact Britain's national identity. And to understand the potential impact of changes to monarchy, we must first appreciate its role in our national identity and how it shaped Britain's national identity in the past. 
And for many, the monarchy represents stability, continuity, tradition, pomp, ceremony, all of those things, while others see it as an outdated institution. It no longer reflects our modern values. One thing that is certain, however, is the royal family has long been a symbol of national unity, and as such, it does play an important part in the country's identity. The monarchy over the centuries has been a unifying force for the British people. It's something that people from all walks of life can rally around and take pride in. And as a result, the royal family has become a central part of the national narrative. And its impact on our culture is undeniable. You can't deny the impact that they have um, around the world. Many have called for the abolishment of the monarchy, citing concerns about its relevance, cost and fairness. But such a significant change could lead to a re-evaluation of British identity and the values that define it. But what would this look like? So abolishing the monarchy would undeniably have a profound impact on Britain's national identity. For some, it could be seen as a positive change because, again, they see the monarchy as a relic. It doesn't reflect contemporary values and they want that more egalitarian democratic society that they feel would better represent the British identity in the modern world. On the other hand, there are those who argue that the monarchy is an essential part of the country's identity and history, and by removing it, it would be akin to erasing a significant part of our heritage. There's no denying that the royal family has been a source of pride and unity for many generations, and it's difficult to predict how abolishing the monarchy might impact this sense of national pride. There is, of course, a middle ground between maintaining the status quo and completely abolishing the monarchy, and this could be like reforming the institution to better align with modern values and expectations. Reforming the monarchy could be an opportunity to strike a balance between preserving tradition and embracing change. And I think the royal family are very much aware of this. I think it is something that they are looking at and how they fit into the modern world. And updating the monarchy's role, structure or its practices could become a more inclusive and representative institution. And it might involve reducing the monarchy's cost to taxpayers, implementing a more transparent decision making process or different tax reasons on their inheritance or different rules. And th these aren't things that are decided by the royal family, it's important to point out. The government decides how the royal family are taxed and how things like the Duchy of Cornwall, the Duchy of Lancaster are taxed is all decided by the government, of course. So it's, again, that re-evaluation of the role of the monarch in government is, is an important question to ask. Some of those reforms and changes could serve to strengthen the bond between the monarchy and the British people. We're all moving forward, we're all changing, we're all, our lives are evolving and moving in different ways. And by them changing, or the, the monarchy changing to, to fit into the modern world, it may reaffirm the institution's importance in our national identity. And it is important to strike that right balance between tradition and modernisation, and it's going to be a delicate process if it ever came around. And it would be very important to carefully consider the potential consequences of any proposed changes. The younger generation of royals, such as Prince William and Prince Harry, well, they've played an increasingly prominent role in recent years. And I think they have brought a fresh perspective to the monarchy, embracing modern values and engaging with the public in a new and innovative ways. So that could also influence the future of the monarchy and its impact on our, our national identity. They've had a really positive impact on the monarchy's image. If you think about some of the, the work that's been done by Prince William and Kate Middleton, so the, the Prince and Princess of Wales, they've shown that they're more in touch with contemporary issues and have used their platform to promote social causes such as mental health awareness and environmental conservation. And again, 
Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, they did a lot of work around mental health awareness as well. So this has helped to endear them to the public and has demonstrated that the monarchy can evolve with the times. It is interesting to see how these younger royals have managed to balance their roles. They represent the monarchy while they're still staying true to their personal beliefs and values as well as sharing more of it in a, in a more modern way. And that could serve as a blueprint for how the institution might continue to adapt and to remain relevant in the 21st century. And as those younger generation of royals take on more responsibility, they do have the opportunity to reshape the monarchy in a way that reflects a modern and a diverse Britain. Again, that could help maintain the monarchy's central role in the country's national identity, while also fostering a more inclusive and a representative institution. Another important aspect to consider when discussing the monarchy's impact on national identity is the role within the Commonwealth. The British monarch is the symbolic head to a group of nations in the Commonwealth, including former British colonies and territories. So how might changes to monarchy impact this relationship and Britain's standing on the world stage? And the monarchy's connection to the Commonwealth is certainly an important aspect of Britain's national identity. The Queen, in particular, the late Queen, she played a significant role in fostering good relations between the member countries of the Commonwealth and maintained a sense of unity within that organisation. Any changes to the monarchy would undoubtedly have implications for that special relationship. It is worth noting, though, of course, that some Commonwealth countries have already taken steps to remove the British monarch as their head of state, opting instead for a president or other representative. And while these changes have not led to a complete dissolution of ties between the countries, they do highlight the evolving nature of the relationship between the monarchy and the Commonwealth. And that relationship between Britain and the Commonwealth is not solely defined by the monarchy, While the institution certainly plays a significant role, the shared history, the shared culture and values between the member countries go far beyond the symbolic connection to the royal family. So as we've explored the impact of any changes to the monarchy on Britain's national identity, it's going to be complex. And while the institution is undeniably intertwined with the country's history and culture, it's also crucial that it continues to evolve and adapt to modern values and expectations of what we want from a modern monarchy. And the monarchy has its work cut out as well to maintain its relevance in the 21st century. It's going to be key to its role in shaping Britain's national identity moving forward, whether through reform or the influence of younger generation of royals or younger members of the public. Finding that right balance between tradition and being modern will be essential. It's all too clear that the public opinion has a vital role and the media also has a vital role to play in shaping the future of this historic institution. So there is an impact on our perception of the royal family that is driven by public opinion and how the media do portray the royal family. The public opinion is a driving force behind many of the changes and debates surrounding the monarchy. As our world evolves and the world does change, so do the expectations of the public regarding the royal family's role responsibilities and relevance in today's society. But how do you think public opinion shapes the monarchy's future and why is it so important? Well, public opinion, it plays an essential role in the monarchy's ability to adapt and evolve over time. The royal family must be aware of the public's perceptions and they've got people working to understand what the public think and feel about them because they want to maintain their relevance and legitimacy. If they don't, they risk becoming disconnected from the very people that they are meant to represent and serve. So public opinion can be a catalyst for change, encouraging the monarchy to modernise and become more in tune with contemporary society. We know that the media plays a significant role in shaping public opinion, and this is particularly true when it comes to the monarchy. So 
It's a primary source of information for many. The media does have the power to shape our perceptions of the royal family, both positively and negatively. And when you think about the media's influence and why it's so crucial in this context, it, it can be vital to have a good relationship with the media, from, between the media and the royal family. The media almost acts as a lens through which we view the monarchy, doesn't it? And its portrayal of the royal family can have a significant impact on our opinions and our perceptions. Positive coverage can bolster the monarchy's image and reinforce its importance in society, while negative or sensationist reporting can damage public trust and create some divisions. And that's why a responsible and balanced media coverage is so crucial. Instances of media bias and sensationalism can erode public trust in the monarchy and create divisions amongst the public about their feelings towards the royal family. So when the media focuses on scandal and controversy, it detracts from some of the important work and the positive contributions that the royal family makes to society. And to counteract with this, it is vital for the media to maintain that fair and balanced approach, even if it is scandalous, to provide accurate and well-rounded coverage of the monarchy. Because we need to know, we, we also, we need to be discerning consumers of media and seek out multiple sources for that well-rounded opinion, which we've talked about many times here on Table Conversation. Social media has also become an integral part of our lives and it's undoubtedly affected how we perceive the royal family. Social media platforms shape public opinion about the monarchy and that also presents some challenges for the royal family. So it certainly changed the landscape of how we consume our news and form opinions it gives a platform for the royal family to communicate directly with the public so they can bypass some of those traditional media channels. And you see very much that with the younger members of the family sharing direct messages and sharing private family photos through those social media channels, which really connects with the public. It is a, that powerful tool and it's a more personal connection with the public and showcasing some of the positive work that they do. Social media also presents several challenges just for the royal family just like us all it can amplify some of the misinformation and the rumors and create echo chambers and encourage polarized opinions and when you think the speed of which information spreads on social media it can make it very difficult for anyone including the monarchy to manage their public image as negative stories they spread quickly rumors can quickly spiral out of control so social media like just like for us all it's a double-edged sword isn't it it's essential for both the royal family and the public to use the platforms responsibly and be mindful of the information that they share and consume the relationship between the royal family and the media well that's evolved significantly over time they've embraced social media to connect directly with the public but they also continue to engage with traditional media outlets so it is important that they do maintain this healthy relationship for their image, um, the media and the monarchy. That relationship is crucial for ensuring that we get information about the royal family and it's really good for their engagement with the public. It can act as a bridge between the monarchy and the public, highlighting some of the positive contributions of the royal family and fostering that sense of unity and pride in our traditions. That right balance can be challenging because there is the fine line between maintaining privacy and providing access to the media. They've got to man manage that image and effectively and address any controversies or negative stories that may arise because when they're funded by taxpayers, then you do come under that scrutiny that if you're a role model family that are standing up there as, as a representative of your people, then you are accountable to them as well. 
The media also has a, a vital role to play in facilitating meaningful and informed debates about the monarchy's role in contemporary society, so providing balanced coverage of the highlights, both of positive and negative aspects of the institution, the media can encourage thoughtful discussions and help the public form well-informed opinions. I said there's been quite a few articles recently about whether the monarchy is relevant in the 21st century, providing some balanced reporting that we can all make our own minds up about what we think the future should look like. The media does have a responsibility to approach this subject with integrity and objectivity as well. They should strive to present accurate information, avoid that sensationalism and promote diverse perspectives to ensure that we've got access to a comprehensive understanding of all the issues at hand. And as we've spoken about today, public opinion and the media play a critical role in shaping the future of the British monarchy. The world is going to continue to change and evolve just for me, for you, as well as the monarchy. So to keep up with that information, we want that fair, balanced coverage of the royal family to see what we what we are working with and whether it is something that we want to continue to have in our country do we want a monarchy in in great britain so to for us to be engaged in those debates then we need that fair balanced information as well the cornerstone of any healthy democracy is a responsible and balanced media and sometimes they haven't got it right over the years but if we can foster informed discussions, providing comprehensive coverage, the media can contribute to a more nuanced and constructive conversation about the monarchy's place in contemporary Britain. Well, I do hope you've enjoyed our royal visit through the history of the monarchy and what the future could look like for them and for us as a country. Please do share your thoughts and keep in touch. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok all at I am Craig Story. Once again, thank you so much for listening. By a royal appointment, your company has been appreciated. If you do enjoy the work that I do and you like to support me, then feel free to buy me coffee.com slash Craig Story. Not the cost of a glass of royal champagne. You could also support me by simply sharing this episode and any of the others with just one person this week that you think would enjoy. I'll be here next time, awaiting your arrival at the table. I'll look forward to chatting with you then. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>